Welcome to the show. Great to be with you. Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk in studio. Paul, it's so great to see you. Welcome to the show. You look all fresh and Oh, my gosh. Yes. You know? Yeah, I went on silent retreat for, I guess, four days total. Nice. Three and a half. You have that retreat glow about you. <sighs> I tell you what. I mean, talk about silence. Talk about a crazy transition from like your house full of, you know, kids, <laughs> right? Like just normal, like just noise of nine. You're not wrong about that. You know, yeah. kids at home and then you go on a silent retreat. I bet you just like, just don't talk. I mean, you just like. It's true. I've become more antisocial. The older I get, and it's, I think it's part of that. I'm around people all the time. So right. when I get, you know, like, for example, at, at the place I went, Clear Creek Abbey in uh, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. you, as a guest, you live with the monks. Like, you live like a Benedictine monk for, like, four days, which is awesome. Yeah. But part of the things they do is after lunch and dinner, they have, like, recreational time. So they just visit outside, mm-hmm. basically. And uh, I used to be a chatterbox in settings like that. I'm like, let me find out everything about you, because I just love talking to people. Right. But, but at this retreat, I was like... Oh, that's nice. All right, I'm going to go pray. So in the Catholic <laughs> world, instead of calling it antisocial, we call it contem- contemplative. Oh, gotcha. Well, I was much more contemplative this uh, this retreat. Right? I like to contemplate, get quiet. <laughs> but anyway, you have that glow. I'm a little jealous. You, you know, should be, man. It was welcome a back. beautiful time. It's good to see you. Yeah. How was your week? Good, man. Just hitting the new year, running, you know, um, in a good way. But it's great to be be here with you. Thanks everyone for listening in on the podcast or on the radio. Hope that uh, as you're <clears throat> getting into your new year, you're, you know, doing well. L- lots of crazy things already this new year, right? Like yeah. last week, Pope Benedict died. Pope Benedict passed away, you know, like we weren't expecting it. You know, the poor guy was 95 years old. You it know, wasn't we, shocking. We right. often think, you know, you know, they're going to live forever. 95 and, and, you know, he retired at 85. Okay, mm-hmm. and people are like, "What is he doing?" Well, if you look at when he was eighty-five, like he, he was old, yeah, and he was his health was declining mentally, physically, and, you know. And there was a lot of debate of like, how can you retire? Like the weight, you, Matt. No one works at eighty-five. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you imagine like running the the global church at eighty-five. Anyway, so <laughs> he probably thought, oh, "I'm only going to live a couple more years." Well, yeah, he lived ten years after his you know retirement. But they weren't healthy years. They no. weren't all healthy years. Like he was pretty isolated, and you know, there were cool pictures he of was him living grabbing his dream. Some, some beer. Yeah. Well, speaking of contemplative, like he was a contemplative at mm-hmm. heart. Like being in leadership and being a pope was way stretching him out of his comfort zone. But he did it out of obedience, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and he did a good job. But you know, for the most part, he was a writer, a theologian, a studier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you look back when he was a priest, um, you know, Father Ratzinger, uh, to when he became a bishop, Bishop Ratzinger, Cardinal, Cardinal Ratzinger, you know, his, you know, I'm going to predict something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, like I'm no prophetic voice, but it's been a while since we've had a doctor of the church. You, those aren't proclaimed till like after someone's dead and, and you begin to like unpack all their writings and, and the things that they've done. I predict that, that Pope Benedict, Cardinal Ratzinger, Father Ratzinger will be close to becoming a doctor of the church. Wow. That's a bold prediction. It is. You should write this down. Here's my prediction. John Paul II became a saint. We all know mm-hmm. that. Like, so we're living in that time. I, I'm not sure that 
Benedict will be canonized a saint. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you're a pope doesn't mean like you're a canonized saint, right? Right. We can't take it for granted that like every pope's a saint. Yeah. Although let's see, John the twenty third, Paul the sixth, John Paul the second, all saints. Yeah. But it's unusual. Right. Mm-hmm. But I do predict that he will be a doctor of the church. Mm-hmm. Now, just like a lot of people just remember him from the last 10 years. Like, go back and read. This guy was at Vatican II. Like, this yeah. guy was before that. Like, oh, he's been in it. it like, mm-hmm. you know, he was like 35 years old when he got pressed into, like, you know, being part of Vatican II. Like, think, like, this guy's been around a long time, and his theology um, during the church of this season is, is like beyond anything else we've seen. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's, you know, yeah, and I mean his his influence on the code of canon law in eighty three. He was one of six to principal um, compilers. The Catechism of the Catholic Church. It was basically his project right. in nineteen ninety two. Um, the uh, the major teachings of the Church of our time had Ratzinger all over them. Yeah, he wasn't just you know in the sense of this like rock star, rock solid, <clears throat> you know, orthodox theologian. But he was in love with Jesus, like, and that yeah. came out. Like his books on Jesus of Nazareth, I mean, are just like, I mean, you just did you ab- see his last words? Even to absorb them, yes, his last words were, "I love you, Jesus." I love you, Jesus. You or know, Jesus, those are his, I love you. he whispered yeah. those out, and his the nurse that was taking care of him, mm-hmm. you know, witnessed that. You know, um, I mean, so much so, like, in a sense, like I've been around long enough, like. My conversion in my life happened with John Paul II, this philosopher who mm-hmm. just was an artist and a poet with his words. You know, he you could say he was the male version of Mother Teresa in the yeah. sense of the way he lived. and Very charismatic. He was yeah. the center of attention in a room. Not because he wanted to be, but just he was. He glowed. Yeah. You know, he really had a glow about him, you know. And yeah. <clears throat> a lot of times, in, you know, at least... You know, in history, if you read about saints, they were partnered with other saints. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. Mother Teresa, John Paul II, they had this this charism of holiness about them that, you know, in, in my lifetime, like my conversion happened through, you know, his papacy. Mm-hmm. Um, my heart was transformed, but my mind had a powerful conversion through Pope Benedict. Yeah. And, and those two are really important, so much so that, you know, the first book that I wrote, Rethink Happiness, is from his inspiration. You know, you know, it's not this, like, fluff title of, like, oh, I'm writing a book on happiness. No, like, the whole idea of the book, like, Rethink, is from a quote from Benedict mm-hmm. when he talked about conversion, conversion to Christ. In the Greek, translated, the word conversion means to rethink. And he talks about rethinking our lives and... And in the process of understanding the truth of who we are and who God is, we have this conversion. This is what inspired me to write a whole book called Rethink Happiness. This idea of like we desire longing and peace and joy and happiness. But the only way that true conversion happens is to rethink that, the Greek word conversion, through the lenses of who God created us to be, right? Yeah. So like he he inspired my whole, you know, journey ahead as he did many, many, many people. Yeah, I mean, I I guess like you, I was... Con- my main conversion time, let's say, to adult Christian spirituality was under John Paul II mm-hmm. um, and everything that that meant. But the clarity and maturity 
to my faith really came under Benedict and a lot because of him. I mean, reading his, he's definitely the Pope I've read the most just because I was interested in reading when he was Pope. Yeah. <laughs> no other reason. Right. <laughs> but, um, and he's also written a lot. But at the heart of it was this this central message, which is surprising, but it's the same as John Paul II, which is Christ is everything. I mean, his first line in uh, his first encyclical, his you know his first major writing as Pope, was that uh, Christ is an event that changes the entire horizon of your life. Right. The encounter with Christ gives life a completely new meaning. Right. And um, that articulated in my heart what what was happening. Yeah, and I think we often appreciate people till they pass fully, right? And hopefully, people in the young young people in the church now, you know, will go back and begin to absorb Benedict. They didn't get to experience the power of mm-hmm. Ratzinger Benedict um, in a way that that just you know provides just the 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 density you know in which he. He brought forth the love of God and, and theology. Okay, <clears throat> so it, all that being said, mm-hmm. um, I have uh, have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though. Okay, I'm for real, <clears throat> and um, you know here. I don't know if you've seen this. You've been on retreat, and you I got have. back, and you, you you got busy at work, and so you know trying to follow it all along. Okay, so this all happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, did you know, or have you seen that there is a tradition uh, of the Pope being buried, and Pope Benedict um, will be buried in three coffins? I did not see this. Yeah. Yep. What, what does that even mean? I, I don't know, but I was intrigued by this, and I was like, "Do you know one like to buy one coffin is crazy, and then you got to pick out three, but then the each coffin fits within the other." Okay, one coffin. Oh, boom. really? And the next coffin fits in the next one. The next coffin fits in the next one. So, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, and it's just interesting, his whole, like, funeral, this is the first time in history that another pope will do the funeral mass for a pope. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, now, it's been like 600 years since a pope resigned and retired, uh, so that was not unheard of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and someone asked, like, the cardinals, like, what's the funeral mass going to be like? And they say, well, it's going to be less than an active pope, more than a cardinal. So they're just trying to figure out, like, <laughs> how do you actually do, you know, a funeral for mm-hmm. a retired pope? All that being said, um, there's a tradition that uh, a pope is buried in three coffins. I um, had no idea about yep. that. Why? Um, the body of a deceased pope is a barrier in three coffins that all fit inside one another. The first layer is a coffin made of cypress wood. Oh, mm-hmm. maybe from Louisiana. Here, the coins of the, pontif- the uh, pontificate will be introduced, as well as the pallium and the text that summarizes his work as Pope. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Then, the latter object will be installed into a metal cylinder. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, it's, then it's into a metallic one. And you're like, why, why didn't this, like, Pope or this saint, uh, you know... Decompose. You're like, he was sealed in three coffins. <laughs> like, what? Um, so then they put him in um, this metal coffin. And then finally, uh, those two coffins are placed in another wooden coffin. Um, so. Wow. Yep. 
he'll be buried in the place occupied by his predecessor, John Paul II. Um, so, because oh, because they moved him because he's a saint now. Yeah, because they moved, they transferred him after his beatification to the chapel at Saint Sebastian, John Paul II. Then, oh, really? Right, located in the Basilica of Saint Peter in the Vatican. You been there? I've been there. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, isn't that interesting? Like, yeah. You know, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to go visit. I've always wanted to go, never been to Rome, and now I have uh, another tomb to visit. Well, you know, it's, um, <clears throat> there's zinc and wooden coffins, you know, and they have meaning. I need to find out more about it, but I zinc, just huh? found out that it was extremely interesting. That is know, interesting. Just placed in one another. They strategically all fit together, you know. I don't know. Cypress, zinc, and then some other wood and then wood yeah huh mm-hmm. okay well i look when i'm dead you can just go with one coffin for me just one yeah just one if I, any how about none like yeah, just, just throw me into the ground i'm gonna decompose i'm and okay with that whatever just boom you know it it's just very interesting to me it is interesting yeah the funeral i um happened when i was on retreat and i couldn't watch it um uh, when I get a sec, I'll go back and watch it. But they did have a funeral mass at the abbey I was at in Clear Creek, Oklahoma, um, or the traditional mass called a Requiem Mass. And it was beautiful. It was a great time to kind of mourn Pope Benedict, um, you know, away from distraction, away from uh, busyness of life, just to have a few days to think about him. And, I mean, look, we prayed not just the mass, the whole office for the dead. This mm-hmm. was wild. So, okay, literally the hours, seven hours, a, uh, seven different times to pray a day already, right? Right. What they did was the office of the dead in addition to the office of the day. So the seven prayers became 14. Wow. <laughs> Were you like falling asleep? No. You can't fall asleep during the liturgy of the hours. It's a lot of standing, bowing. That's true. Like it's it's acrobatic. Uh, my hips were burning. Hmm. But like, so when we did morning prayer or lauds, we did the one for the day and then the office for the dead, which was beautiful because I literally prayed for Pope Benedict, um, eternal rest granted in him, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon him mm-hmm. probably a hundred times right. during the course of that day, which is a beautiful hmm. thing for me to be able to do that. One of the things you were saying is like, you know, during uh, mealtime, they were reading his encyclicals. Yeah, we... Uh, is that sort of a tradition like for religious orders, like why you eat, there's there's a reading happening? Right? Yeah, a lot of communities do that. They uh, they have an interesting tradition of chanting the reading. Okay. So they're reading from a book, A Life from a Saint, or something like that, and they chant it. So, for example, at lunch, we heard from St. Thomas More's, um, a biography by him, <laughs> about him. Yeah. And then at evening, we read from Pope Benedict's uh, Caritas and Veritate, Charity and Truth, his uh, third encyclical. Okay. But it was all chanted. Hmm. Pope Benedict says... Okay, the first coffin (laughs) is a cypress wood coffin, which symbolizes humility, Uh and that the Pope was an ordinary human being. I knew it all had meaning. Okay, the church doesn't do anything without meaning. Including that coffin would be a copy of the funeral mass and bags of gold, silver, and copper coins. The number of coins in each bag matched the number of years he was Pope. Huh. <clears throat> Kerns. You get some Kerns <laughs> up in your coffin. 
The cypress kern <laughs> coffin is put into the lead coffin. Included in this coffin is a copy of the documents he issued under his papal seal. Oh, wow. So it's a copy of all the documents. The, the lead coffin will be um, soldered sh- shut, like, like you know, like totally Not shut. That, like, yeah. don't no, nobody's going to mess with him. And have his name, dates of the papacy, and a skull and crossbones engraved on top. The third and final coffin, which is put, you know, they put in, is an elm coffin. Elm is a rare, is rare in Rome. It means to represent dignity. Mm-hmm. This coffin includes a parchment in a cooper tube with a list of the pontiff's achievements. This coffin is then sealed with golden nails. Golden nails. Yep. When wow. each coffin is sealed, it is wrapped with two violet silk ropes. Then it is sealed with wax and a coat of arms of the chamberlain and the car- and and the cardinal dean. Hmm. Wow. Yep. Well, I'm glad that dignity was offered to Pope Benedict. Yep. I mean, he died a retired pope, but I mean, he's as much a dead pope as any other dead pope, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, he he wasn't not a, yeah. Exactly. Every dead pope is a former pope. Well, a retired bishop dies. He's still a bishop. Yeah. I mean, you don't... Yeah. Okay. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Healthcare that works better and costs less seems like an oxymoron, right? Take a minute and check out our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare. Members say that faith-based health sharing is a much better fit than insurance, all while costing less. Prices start at $384 a month for families. Call now to see how much you can save. 844-387-8533. That's 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Paul George, Deacon Adam Kong in studio. Thanks for listening in on the podcast or on the radio here in Lafayette. Christ Our King Radio. Christ Our King Radio. That's it. Shout out. Yeah, it's good to just start a new year, 2023, rocking and rolling. Got my goals, objectives. I'm hitting none of them. Perfect. You know, but um, I got them. I mean, you got all year. That's true. <laughs> you kind of wish you just start out hitting, hitting all of them. I'm sure gym memberships are up. They skyrocket. Dude, I, ex- end of the I year. exercised this morning. Exactly. I almost died. And usually by March, gyms are like half half uh, empty. Mm-hmm. You know, people give up. Don't give up this year. Mm. Make Jesus the center of your life. Wow. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I was going to die this morning. Mm. Waking up, I, I ran a little bit. And Good then for you. Left, lifted some weights. Wow. I was like, what is this feeling of like it, I'm going to fall over? But it feels good, right? Like to get Eventually your body did, yeah. moving and rolling. <laughs> You know, one of my one of my goals last year, the last couple of years, and just you know, <clears throat> a lot of my goals bleed in. They, you know, they're not just like segmented, like compartmentalized. Like I, I want to live a healthy life and things like that. You know, body, mind, and soul. Like be spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. You know, just working on those things. You know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so anyway, um, you know, particularly as you get older, just to feel healthier. Mm-hmm. You know, or younger, it doesn't really matter. You know, like. I was looking at Pope Benedict. We've been talking about him, and he's 95. Like, that's a long life, dude. Yeah. Like, that, that guy lived. Yeah. He accomplished a lot of things. It's like 20 years past a full life. To me, 75, 80, you're like, 
You know, it's a full life, I think. I guess until yeah. you're 80, you're like, man, I, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I got some more time. That. I've always thought that I'm not ready. Uh, you know, <laughs> but 95, you're like, dude, crushed it. Yeah, he lived a full life, which is crazy because you know what's wild is like, you know, we could be having within the next five years, we could be having two dead popes, like masses and That's stuff right. like that. Like, like we don't realize it. Pope Francis is 86. Yeah. Okay, like, so he's not, like, a, a young puck, pup either. Like, he's had some knee troubles. He's been in a wheelchair. Like, he's been having to cancel trips. Like, like mm-hmm. you know, these are human beings. You know, we talked about three caskets. Like, the, the Cypress casket represents the fact that the Pope was just a, a human. Yeah. You know, like, there was nothing, like, divine about this cat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I looked it up, and uh, Pope Francis is getting close to be among the oldest reigning popes ever. Right. When he hits 87, he'll be in the top three. Really? Maybe the top two. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Benedict would have been, if he'd been pope this whole time, obviously, the oldest. Because the oldest is 93. Pope Leo the Thirteenth went to 93. Nice. But the second is 86. Wow. And almost 87. So when Pope Francis hits 87... Or the second is 87. John so. Paul II was... He, uh, you see, he was born in 22, or 20. He was yeah, born right. in 1920. He was in his 80s. So he was 85. 85. Yep, that's what it was. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so Francis is... Uh, I mean, he died at 85. People gave Benedict such a hard time for retiring at 85. At 86. 86. Yeah, John yeah. Paul II died then. You know, yeah. you imagine, like, <clears throat> running, like, the whole global church? Like, you, like I mean... I really do believe that his discernment was was spot on in a sense of what he felt like he can mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually carry. Mm-hmm. You know, and he knew that he didn't have the energy to continue to lead. And I think that's good discernment. I mean, a lot of people in power have a hard time being humble and letting go and letting other people lead. Well, the other thing about his humility is he... Now, this would be a mortal sin if he did it, but he clearly did not try to influence who his successor would be. Like, he trusted the Holy Spirit. Totally. Like, he res- he resigned, and then he let the conclave do its thing. Mm. And, um, you know, that is required. Like, it would be gravely sinful if he didn't do that, but it's also very humble. You mentioned about people in power don't really want to give that up. I mean, there's nothing more humble to, to say, all right, I resign this position that's very important that I've devoted my life to for eight years. Mm. And... Um, that I love with all my heart, but I I will not interfere with my successor hmm. at all. And um, he's he's stuck to that. No, there's no reports that he did that. As a matter of fact, you know, I was reading, uh, you know, where you know someone made note that like his great contribution was to let the Holy Spirit choose the next pope. You know, mm-hmm. and you know we got to believe that. That, that that God's in charge. Okay, um, <clears throat> I, I want to read this quote. Then Cardinal Ratzinger um, uh, from the book Rethink Happiness. Not to quote my book, but like I'm really mourning. Yeah, a guy who impacted my my trajectory. Right. Yeah. He says the Greek word for converting means to rethink, to question one's own and common way of living, to allow God to enter into the criteria of one's life. Begin to see one's life through the eyes of God. 
thereby looking for the good, even if uncomfortable, not aiming at the judgment of the majority of men, but on the justice of God. Unconverted life is self-justification. I am, I am not worse than the others. Conversion is humility in entrusting oneself to the love of the other, hmm. God. I mean, that was the inspiration of my heart, like for the work that I've committed to, you know, and this, this is him. Like this is, this is before he's even Pope, like Cardinal mm-hmm. writing about a world that needed conversion, you know, to fall in love with Jesus, to rethink their lives through another lens other than what the world could offer, right? Mm-hmm. True happiness comes from <clears throat> finding our life through the lenses of how God sees us. Yeah, and continuing to deepen that vision, I mean, ongoing conversion is not just because we're so dirty and and unfit for the Lord and so unholy that God wants to always make us better. That's not exactly it. I mean, not that that's not not true, because we are fallen human beings and we we wrestle with sin every day for sure. But it's more like what he just described: that more and more I begin to see things the way God sees them, and therefore because I'm seeing my life more like God sees it, then my will follows, my love follows, my heart follows, my emotions follow. It, they all become in line more and more with God and his vision of things, the way he sees things, than my own. This is a lifelong process, not because you know there's some finish line that we keep working on, but because that is this world. This world is a preparation for the next, and heaven is to see all things through the vision of God. We're going to see God face to face. And so this rethinking thing that you're talking about, this conversion, this call to conversion, is ultimately a call to heaven. And we experience heaven on earth through conversion. Like, that's what heaven looks like on earth. We change. Heaven changes us on earth. In heaven, we won't change anymore. Like, we'll we'll see God face to face. We'll be the saint God called us to be for all eternity. And we're done converting. Right. But heaven on earth means conversion. Yep. And so if we're not interested in conversion, we're not interested in heaven. And like he said, hmm. why wouldn't we be interested in heaven? Self-righteousness. Yep, self-sufficiency. And I've often said, like, and I, and I think I, I absorbed this from, from reading a lot about Pope Benedict, Cardinal Ratzinger. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've talked about, like, one of the, the greatest um, threats to our lives, people's lives, is self-sufficiency. To believe that that we are God of our life, like we we can solve it all, we have all the answers, like and that is that is like the anti gospel, is the anti of how we were created. We're totally created to be in relationship with God, and and our life has its most meaning in surrendering that life, our mind, our hearts to God. Right? This is what Ratzinger Benedict talked about so much that that is so true to the gospel. It's right back to reading scripture. Jesus talked about it, but, you know, as we look back at his life, I think the more and more, like, after he's passed, like, people are going to now begin to rediscover uh, his writings, and it's going to continue to influence the church and people, and I predict, I'm telling you, that that he is, before a saint, would be a doctor of the church. I, I just have this this feeling feeling huh mm-hmm. where is it at this feeling and i'm not talking and i'm not real connected to the roman curia you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah you don't I, have an inside scoop i don't have like an inside track you know i'm just a lay guy who uh has 
Yeah. Well, sometimes doctors do come in pairs. I'm thinking of, let's say, recently we celebrated St. Gregory of Nazianzen and St. Basil. Mm -hmm. Same day, but both doctors of the church, and they lived Mm. at the same time. So, I mean, John Paul II needs to be a doctor, too, for different reasons, I think. But his teaching on Mary, vastly important, but his theology of the body will resonate what he taught about marriage and family life in an official way will resonate for mm-hmm. centuries. Like yep. I don't, when Jesus comes back, we'll still be processing the Pope John Paul II's teaching on that. Pope Benedict has a similar quality of the things he brought up, the, what he made important specifically to, to call the church back to faith, hope, and charity, which mm-hmm. were his, his encyclicals. He decided, we need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to Christ everything's about him, that will resonate. It, it affected Francis, and it will affect many popes. So maybe they're both doctors at the same ceremony, John Paul II and Benedict XVI, and maybe your grandkids will be there holding the paper in which you wrote. I predict... You're calling me old? Are you calling me old? I'm saying it will take a while. Yeah, that's true. Okay, uh, yeah. we can't... I mean, we're still early on in the year, mm-hmm. okay? It's our second episode of the, of the yeah. year, right? yeah. Uh, we have to do a weird Catholic stuff. What? Yep. That is the weirdest thing? I don't know. I don't understand you people. There's no telling what you got today. What are you talking about? Here we go. Catholics are so weird. Apparently. If you weren't so weird, more people would be Catholic. Weird Catholic stuff! I think it's what makes people more Catholic. I hope so. I mean, there's just tradition and things that you just can't, you can't make up. It's just there. Yeah. I mean, miracles, crazy stuff. Yeah, know? it's only weird because you're not Catholic. Once you become Catholic, you're just maybe like, yeah. some stuff is still weird. But <laughs> Well, okay, so this is, uh, this is fresh because last week I got a text from your wife. Right. Which She's, doesn't happen often. No, no, no. And she put us on the same text, and she didn't know that you were on silent retreat. I was like, Gretchen, Adam's on silent retreat. Like, leave him alone. She's like, oh, I had no idea. However, she was on a mission. Yeah. Right, and I'm glad she was because I learned a lot from it, and it's kind of a weird Catholic thing. But so she texts me, she asks, "Hey, what do you know about Epiphany water? Right, and how faithful can get access to it? Right. So, like, so last Sunday we celebrated the Epiphany, which is like, you know, traditionally for us, like contemporarily right now, we've celebrated the Epiphany as, <clears throat> you know, the visitation of, you know, the, um, the Magi, Magi yeah. uh, to Jesus. Okay, so like. But, so she's asked me about this holy water. Meanwhile, as I'm reading the text, I'm driving back from Oklahoma with Father Vidrine, mm-hmm. my pastor, in the driver's seat, and I read that out loud. I'd say, Father, do you know anything about this? He said, Oh yeah, yeah. Um, there's a traditional blessing of, uh, but it's 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 the old rite, so only certain priests can do it. They have to get permission. Of course, he has that permission because our parish has that delegation from the bishop to do all traditional rites. Right. Um, so I said, Huh. Said, so you think when we get back now in the traditional calendar, Epiphany is the sixth still, which right. would have been, which was the next day. So it was that day, which was Epiphany Eve, that the blessing has to happen. It has to be the Eve of Epiphany. It has to be. You can't do it any other time. Nope. Okay, this is weird. Yeah. Like you can't any other. It's like it's not like normal holy water. We're like right no. now, like you as a deacon, like you could bless water and and or a priest any time of year, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, and really this blessing, as I learned later, not to give it away too much, but as we looked at the book, it's supposed to be by a bishop, but it could be by a priest. 
It's intended to be a blessing a bishop does. You have to get permission from the bishop to mm-hmm. do the blessing, right? right? Like faculties for it? Right, is that you have to have the faculties, yeah. Okay, so that's weird. Yeah. Um, Which makes you think, okay, what's the big deal about this? <laughs> like if you have to get yeah. faculties from a bishop, okay, say like a pastor at a church is to do a confirmation. Mm-hmm. The bishop does confirmations. Right. If they were to do a confirmation, they'd have to get permission faculties to do the confirmation as a pastor, as a priest. Right? That's right. Same thing with epiphany water, apparently. Okay. Because there, there's something big that's happening. Like confirmation is like the Holy Spirit, bang, boom, a baba. Yeah. You know, like what's going on it's with a this? a big like, old deal. Yeah. I mean, this simple text from Gretchen and like now we're like, what's going on? Yeah. So so I, I say, look, when we get back, can we can we make some of this water? I'll give some to Gretchen and, I'll, you know, we could keep some of the parish. He's like, sure. So we get back. And we look up the the prayer ritual, which is called mm-hmm. the Roman ritual. It's it's the old prayer book, and so he wasn't planning on doing it. But no. when y'all started talking about it, you're like, yeah, let's let's roll. That's right. Okay. And uh, so we get this big Kentwood bottle nice. of water, and we, yes. we bless it. Now the blessing, we start flipping through it. It's it ended up being twenty minutes long. It's okay, like so. If blessing. I had some water right here, you could bless it in like two thirty seconds, seconds flat. Yeah. yeah. Boom. But this was a twenty minute blessing, really, and involved a real hatred of uh sin and uh ca- so apparently it's it's principal purpose is to ward off evil the demonic satan okay so let me catch people up a little bit on this so the epiphany we celebrate you know currently like the magi visit you know and they come <clears throat> and present gifts to the lord they they find jesus but there there's an older tradition of the epiphany that was actually celebrated as the power of the baptism of Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so like it goes back, you know, even that tradition. And the wedding feast of Cana together. And the yeah. wedding feast of Cana to where like Jesus entering into the waters of baptism, the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, the the anointing, everything that happened in that moment, you know, so the epiphany would celebrate Then after that. his baptism, he does battle with Satan in the desert. Exactly. Yeah, we've lost the idea in evangelization, but it's there in our sacraments still that Evangelization means casting out a demon and welcoming Christ. Our our baptismal promises, first three, we cast out a demon. We say no to Satan. The next three, we say yes to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. So this idea that anytime the gospel is progressed, demons are cast out and Christ comes to dwell in. Now, this blessing was like very much against the enemy. We In the blessing... It was all in, in Latin, but I could follow the English translation next to it. Tons of signs of the cross over the water. And like, get out of here, devil, was it's, like it says this, clearly the, the idea. In this way, the blessing of epiphany water is the Ro- in the Roman rite was used to cast out Satan and all his demonic angels. Yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering why my wife wants this. <laughs> well, I can guess. I mean, she lives with me, maybe. I think God's put something I, on her she's heart. She's going to sprinkle it on me while I'm sleeping. <laughs> Be gone. <laughs> um, so we did the blessing, and it involved blessed salt. If you don't know about that, that's kind of a weird Catholic thing. So it's you... salt and water combined? Yeah, and typically when you make holy water in the old rite, you would always make salt and water and then combine them. Okay. So this does that. And uh, yeah, so now I have this big Kentwood bottle of Epiphany water at my home if anybody needs some. No, <laughs> I, like in a sense, like uh, you know, Gretchen was telling me about it, is that it really does... You know, like we do believe like in the sacramentals and then yeah. holy water and, and ble- we believe in demons and bless yeah. salt and we believe that spiritual battle on demons and like we can bless our kids and holy water and you know, we make the sign of the cross with holy water and we can bless bless salt and 
cast out demons, but this has a specific nature to it, right? Like mm-hmm. the salt, the water combined, it's blessed specifically to cast out, you know, evil. Yes, I mean, think about the wise men. So these pagans discover the gospel, evil is cast out and the gospel begins to dwell. Think about the baptism that you brought up. Um, Hmm. People were given, you know, John pointed out, this is the Lamb of God, and people found Jesus, and the demons were cast out and they accepted the gospel. Think about the wedding feast of Cana. People saw his sign, they began to believe in him, demons were cast out, the gospel. So this idea of epiphany is this like shining forth to where the light of Christmas doesn't just stay at Bethlehem, but starts to cast out demons in the world. And so now with this epiphany water, you can cast out evil. Dude, you you got it, man. Like, look, you need it. You need it. Well, I got it. Apparently got I need it. a big Kentwood bottle of it. You got, got students to take care of. You got kids. You got, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's nothing we need to be afraid of. Like, hey, everybody's got a demon. But like, the spiritual warfare is happening all the time, even little ways, big ways. But look, this doesn't mess around. I don't know if this is the exact prayer that you prayed, but here's an example that I found. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Christ, by his power, we cast you out. Every unclean spirit, yep. every devilish power, yeah. what would, every <laughs> assault of the infernal adversary, every legion, every diabolical group and sect, yes. be gone. It's Ex- a, exactly. It's, stay far away from the church of God, from all who are made in the image of God and redeemed by his precious blood of the divine lamb. I mean, this is like... Oh, it's serious. There's no mincing words here. Mm-hmm. Is this what you felt like? Yeah. Like you were like putting on boxing gloves? Yeah. Especially 10 minutes in. Never again dare, you cunning servant, to deceive the human race, to persecute the church of God, nor to strike the cho- chosen of God, and to sift them as wheat. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah. Like everyone should be praying this. Like every parish, every priest, deacon, layperson, family. Like, this is awesome, man. Like, wow. Well, Just goes at it. There are so many older rituals like that and practices. I mean, even just blessed salt itself. Blessed salt has a, um, a quality to it to keep enemy away. So people would sprinkle salt at the um, entrances of their home yeah. to not let the enemy in. There's a lot of things that used to be done that can still be done. We talked last week about the blessing over the door. So yeah. there's a lot of blessings at the beginning yeah, of the year. Yeah, chalk on the top, salt on the bottom, epiphany <laughs> water everywhere. Just <laughs> the showering in it. <laughs> I mean, it's just like I'm, I'm continuing to read like this is cracking me up like in a good way. Be gone, Satan, you father and teacher of lies and enemy of mankind. Wow. Now, of course, this is not magic. This is not superstition where this is now magic water. It's actually it makes a lot of sense if we understand the authority of Jesus Christ. Like mm-hmm. Jesus has all authority to cast out demons, to yeah. to conquer every devil. It's all his authority. And what he has done is through his church, he's given that authority mm-hmm. to make his authority present. Yeah. So the church makes Christ, it's not a different authority. It's not no. a different thing. No, no, no. He makes, through his church, he makes himself present and through sacramentals is contained that authority of Christ. So this this water now contains that authority. Yeah, and it is not magic. Like you have to enter in with with the grace to like you pray this prayer and also like the heart and faith to like live for Christ. You know, you can't mm-hmm. just be like, oh, I'm just gonna bless myself with this and continue to live in my sinful vices. Right. And remember that sacramentals are always directed towards sacraments. This is part of the teaching of the church. Any sacramental like holy water or the brown scapula or the rosary 
These are all things that help us receive the sacraments better. Hmm. They dispose us to union with God, to grace, to Jesus. They cast out the enemy so that we can have Christ. And then when we go to communion, we're holier, right? And so this is not something, if you're, if you're not living a sacramental life, these things don't really help you that much. Be gone. Right. You shouldn't get epiphany water, throw it all over your house, and you never go to mass, never go to confession. That's not how that works. So, man, like last week, if you didn't listen to the show, you can go back. There's the epiphany blessing of chalk, right? Mm-hmm. And you put over your door the year and then the the three marks for the gold frank, the gifts, right? The gold mm-hmm. frankincense and myrrh, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you can do that. There's blessed chalk for the epiphany. Now we got this epiphany once water. a year, man. Once You can only do it once a year. Who knew epiphany was such a battle feast? Yeah. Although it kind of makes sense. I mean, look, people were killed around the epiphany, right? These young innocents, mm. these boys, about a dozen boys under the age of two. I mean, the devil knew what was happening. Yeah. And he came to play, like he came to do battle. And our Lord showed up to do battle as well. Mm. So it is a battle time, I guess, the epiphany. Right. Let's do it. Man. I'm not afraid of the enemy, but he's real, so we got to... says the Greek word epiphany means manifestation. Mm -hmm. Mm. I mean, like, there's power in that word. Mm -hmm. Like, God is present. He has manifested himself. Well, that's a fun word, manifest. Mm. So the root is hand, Mm. and to manifest is, like, literally to hit somebody with a faith. Boom. (laughs) Smack. Jesus is here. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So the power of God is... Be gone, Satan. Bang. Wow, this is good. Okay, all right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Paying too much for health care and supporting services you don't believe in? Our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare, has prices that are 60% less than the nation's average cost of health care. Join the nation's leading health care sharing ministry built by people of faith for people of faith, saving money through ethical and affordable health care. Call now to see how much you can save at 844-387-8533. That's Solidarity HealthShare, 844-387-8533. Hey, hey. Welcome back to the show, Paul George, Deacon Adam Kong in studio, talking all things, man. I mean... Benedict, Epiphany Water. Ooh. I mean... Demons. Demons. <laughs> Be gone, you diabolical. Mm-hmm. I mean... Get out of here. I mean, you must have felt like you were just like in, in a ring. So did you and, and <clears throat> Father do this together? Yeah. Okay. In his office over at Kentwood Bottle. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. And look at that. Gretchen sparked all that. She did. You know, she did. Now every year you're gonna do it. I know you. It's true. It's like epiphany. You know, we're gonna do this. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, why not? And then y'all should have it available that people can get it. Like you know, mm-hmm. if you bless it, then people can get bottles of it. I, well, I think. for the parish, so while we were gone because we were on retreat, he he gave permission to a another priest who asked people if they wanted this water to bring water bottles to him, and he was going to bless it and then give it out of the Epiphany Mass, which happened the Epiphany night, January 6th. Mm-hmm. So, and I didn't know any of that was happening. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, so, anyway, get you some Epiphany water. Do it. Wow. You know, it's interesting this week that we uh, <clears throat> celebrate uh, St. Hilary of Poitiers, France. Poitiers. 
and Hillary, um, a guy, a, everybody, a man. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to just because you know you're like, oh, Hillary sounds like a girl, but he's French. Yeah, he's actually, you know, I'm tired. Like he died in 368, so like in third century. Like this guy was fighting heresies. Mm-hmm. He was like a real, true, like theologian and fighter of heresies. He got like kicked out of his, you know, he got removed he got sent away and he kept fighting like mm-hmm. he's reminds me a lot of like like interesting that we celebrate you know pope benedict passing and saint hillary of poitiers this week at the same time because mm-hmm. they remind me a lot of each other in in the way that they fought culture with theology you know well and I understand the important of the importance of ideas and doctrine and it's easy to undermine that importance in today's world, today's church, where, you know, we, we think there's, there's so much action that needs to happen. There's so many things we need to do that we're not doing or that we're doing wrongly. Let's focus on that. Let's talk about that. Let's fix that. But when you get something wrong about God, an idea or a doctrine, mm. then you lose the meaning behind all the action. Mm. Like in Hillary's case, St. Hillary, I mean, he gave us the theological terms we still use today for the Trinity. I mean, he, he came up with person came up with relation to explain this mystery of the Trinity mm-hmm. because he was fighting against all these heresies. Mm-hmm. And if he wouldn't have done that so many hundreds of years ago, you and I would not even know who the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are. Yeah, like he was fighting against um, Arianism, right? <clears throat> Which didn't believe in, in the in the Trinity. Yeah, it's all that uh, Jesus was a creature, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... um. But yeah, I mean, those are those are the heroes of the early church, but also the church of today, the ones that know how important doctrine is, which totally makes sense if you're um, if you're married, and you know how important getting things right when you're arguing with your wife is. Mm-hmm. Which, right. by the way, Saint Hilary of Portier was married. Ah, I, I didn't know if, that. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. He was a pagan. Was his wife's name Hillary? And he converted to Christ- Hillary and Hillary. <laughs> Now look at here, Hillary. Look at here. I'll sprinkle you Listen, with the epiphany water, you little demon. <laughs> um, it doesn't say, it says his wife was still living when he was chosen against his will to be a bishop. Uh, just He just didn't want to be a bishop. I didn't know that he was married. But mm. it, it doesn't seem like she, w- she must have passed away. Mm. Um, because then, you know, he was sent away and, you know, he, he lived a while longer. So... Anyway, it's interesting. So, speaking of interesting, how about a six-pack of questions? Question. Question number one. All right, so we talked about Benedict the Sixteenth. Where were you when he was elected pope? I was. Um, so that was that two thousand five. Yep, I remember it. I was living in Homa, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Working in Thibodeau, running Adore Ministries, and I remember him being elected. And at that time, um, <clears throat> was studying Ratzinger documents. And so when he became Pope, it was like my boy just became Pope. Like, and I didn't really even know him. So, what was the first words out of your mouth? Do you remember? I was like, um, dang, <laughs> I don't know. It it was kind of like a joy. It, Everyone was sad that John Paul II died, you know, and yeah. so like he was, I think, a great next pope, you know, for the time. But yeah, I just thought like great choice that came out of your mouth. 
in my mind. Great choice. I, I mean, I don't remember. It's like 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago. But I do remember where I was in 2005. Yeah. yeah nice. Cool. All right. Question number two. So you wrote a book, mm-hmm. Rethink Happiness, yep. inspired by his vision of what conversion is. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me how that book process, because you, ha- I mean, you had to really think about conversion and think about what he was saying to write this book and mm-hmm. then apply it to daily life. Tell me about how that strengthened your relationship with him, Ratzinger, Benedict, and uh, in Christ. Like, what's the journey of this book for you? As much theology as he talked about, and like you talked about, like, if you get the truth about God wrong, then, like, everything kind of, like, trickles down the wrong path there in your mind, your heart, right? He got everything about God right theologically, but at the center of all that was he talked a lot about like relationship with Jesus. Like the, mm-hmm. this had to be a personal encounter with Christ, not just a thing or a place, but a personal encounter. And he really, he really, all his theology led, it was very Christocentered, which is what catechesis is about. It leads us back into Christ, everything, the truth of God. So it was, mm-hmm. yeah, it, you know, it was great, you know. Yeah. All right, so question number three, your new book coming out, Holy Grit, you looked at manly saints yes, and uh, wrote a chapter on each. Which St. Hilary of Poitiers might be in my next one, because well, he wasn't in this one. I was going to ask, you know, if you're going to write a chapter on Ratzinger, Ooh. what are kind of the manly qualities you admire? Well, he's got to be a saint. Well, he loved beer. Uh-huh. Mm. I mean, he just like is German, like Ratzinger is German. You know, I have some German blood in me. Um, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm, you know, all like that Eastern Europe sort of <clears throat> area is, is my background, but um, I'm a mutt of of Europe. Apparently. You know, but, you know, all that being said, like, he's just German, like, he, he came through uh, communist regime, the mm-hmm. Nazi regime, like, yeah. he was alive then, like, he uh, defected then, like, he, he, uh, you know, he didn't have an easy life, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know his brother was a priest as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just, uh, just was, yeah, just a very, you know, masculine guy, even in, in the way that he taught, but but very compassionate as well. Sort of like, you know, his name, Joseph Ratzinger, he does have a characteristic of Joseph. He was tender. He was protective, uh, <clears throat> you know, as as St. Joseph was of the Holy Family. Mm. All right, question number four. So we talked about uh, epiphany water. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me the importance of family rituals like that. So a lot of a lot of families will do things like the father's blessing the kids or the having holy water and mm-hmm. like these kinds of things or just having certain statues or images. Why is that important in the home? And um, let's say we don't do things like that as a family. How, you know, suggest something to us. Yeah, one of the things we've always done, and look, it's weird because now our kids are getting older, they, they'll remind us, you know, why don't you bless me? You know, it's mm-hmm. like we've always just, you know, when they're going to bed, we always just bless them with the sign of the cross. And, you know, as a parent, you have authority over your children. And they love that protection. Even if they they, they get to a season of their life where they just don't like it or they whatever, it doesn't matter. Like you have authority over them, spiritual authority, to bless them and to, to protect them and there's a lot of power in that, you know, to pray for your kids and to pray over them and bless them, bless them with holy water, um, all those things. 
And it doesn't have to be overdone. It can be very just integrated and simple. But it's just saying that God reigns here, you know, over our life, our marriage, our family, our house, all those things. Awesome. All right, question number five. So we talked about how in your face that blessing is with the devil. Be gone. In his face. Be gone. You've worked with a lot of people, I'm sure, that have let's say struggle through certain things like they want it, they need to get over a certain sin or they need to be healed in a certain way or whatever. Talk to me about the discernment there between kind of working with nature, like there's some kind of wound mm. and then working against the enemy. Like when does the enemy kind of show himself and like, what do you, what do you do to kind of get some freedom from that oppression? Mm. You know, when you were speaking, I had this image. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever seen, um, like a wounded animal that had like a, a scab or a wound, like a physical wound, mm-hmm. you know, whether that be like, you know, like a cow or a dog or whatever, and flies attract the wound. Mm. Have you ever seen that? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's kind of disgusting in yeah. a sense, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, but the enemy doesn't care, like Satan. And Satan will attach self to our wound we have, whether it be something we've done, or something that's happened to us, a brokenness, a trauma, a wound, a, a thought, a, you know, it, and Satan will just cling to those things and like a fly on a scab and, and just like want to keep it bleeding, you know, want to keep it like just exposed. And for us to live out of that wound, you know, and not heal, right? But Jesus comes to heal the wound, to, to, to really bring, you know, grace and healing to those areas of our life where we need healing and have experienced trauma or brokenness or heartache, right? Mm -hmm. And the more grace and the more that we lean into Christ, the more we surrender, the more we enter into the sacraments and, and, and have sacramentals, like those wounds begin to heal, but we have to, we can't run from them. We have to expose them and open them and give them to Christ so that Satan doesn't have any, any authority over them, you know? Mm -hmm. Love it. All right, question number six. We talked about St. Hilary of Poitiers. Poitiers, huh? He was married. Bonjour, no. Bonjour. is <laughs> in French, France, but I guess at that time he would have spoken Latin. I don't know. Mm. And he was married. I didn't know this. Comment ça va? That's Bien. French. Bien. Okay. Um, but he was married and... At least uh, that's what it says. At least that's what it says. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about... This is something I'm sure you all have discerned in y'all married life. Like when the Lord calls a spouse into something, there's a certain togetherness that's always there when you're married, I guess. But then sometimes there's this room for discerning a specific calling that this person has. Mm-hmm. Not both of us, but yep. like this person. <clears throat> yep. Talk to me about that and like that relationship between a couple's calling, but then also like a specific spouse, like Hillary, for example. Yeah, like I have a, a mission to like write and speak, but Gretchen doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, but our mission together as a family, as a married couple, raising our kids and doing some things together missionally, you know, we do, right? You have a mission to lead a school right now. Your wife doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. But you all have a mission together to do other things. What I would say about that <clears throat> is that no matter what, particularly in a marriage, there always has to be mutual discernment. You know, you might have a specific calling to do this and the other spouse doesn't, but... <clears throat> if there's no mutual discernment in that decision, like if you were just the president of a school and just spent all your time and, and y'all didn't discern that together, there would cause division in that mission. There would be, become some resentment like, Oh, 
you know, I didn't want you to do that. You mm-hmm. did it anyway. Mm-hmm. But when you discern things together, you're still in mission together. You just might not be doing that thing specifically together. Right? Paul, this is very important. So your, your wife is 100% behind your mission to lead what you're doing mm-hmm. on the day-to-day, mm-hmm. but she's not there with you, right? She mm-hmm. is spiritually, emotionally, right? That's what's the most important thing because when you don't discern things together and there's not mutual discernment, it causes division, causes resentment, and then the enemy creeps in <clears throat> and begins to move you further and further apart, you know? Paul, this is important. Yeah. Maybe you should write a book about this. Yeah. So anyway, like, we've really found that out. Like <clears throat> we call it mutual discernment, like yeah. togetherness in discerning. So if I'm going to go out and speak a bunch, like, and Gretchen's not behind that, or we haven't discerned that together. When I got home, she'd just be bitter. You've been gone. Why'd you do this? But when we're together on it, she's, like, she's behind it. How'd it go? I've been praying for you. This was great. Like, tell me more about it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. she's part of that, you know. And, and vice versa in, in the things that, that she does. But we always found that there's things that are important that we need to be missionally in together. Yeah. Obviously leading our family, raising our children, maybe opening our home for certain things or things like that. Telling people about Epiphany Water. Man, look, I just got behind her on that mission. Like I was just like, I don't even know. And she was just, <laughs> she was just going at it. <laughs> Sending you texts. You're getting back from your silent retreat. That was awesome. You're like, bang. There it is. So, I don't know. Look, don't come hounding us for the epiphany water. It's like, you know. I'll give, look, I got a Kenwood bottle full, but su- supp- while supplies last. While right? supplies last. You better save some for yourself. <laughs> so, great show, man. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. If you listen on the podcast, share the show. Um, let people know about it. And uh, thanks to KLFT Radio, Christ Our King Radio here in Acadiana, and all the listeners here. All our sponsors, super appreciate it. And we'll be back next week. God bless.